Well, good morning. You know, the eight o'clock service did better than that, and they were up earlier, so uh, let's try it one more time. Good morning. There we go. Now, you will notice that I am not Paul Coleman. Paul texted about 520 this morning and said, I am sick and I cannot make it. And so we're going deep into the bullpen and, uh, and I'm going to share a message with you this morning. Before we do that, one, when you do see Paul, I think the reason he decided to get sick was because yesterday was his birthday and we were going to celebrate. So when you see him, wish an old man happy birthday, okay? All right. So when you see Paul, tell him happy birthday. But uh, uh, let me take just a moment before we get into the message. And there's a couple of things going on around our world that we want to acknowledge. And uh, we want to spend a moment and we want to pray this morning. And that would be uh, certainly the earthquake that hit Haiti. Uh, Again, they are struggling with a, a lot of damage, a lot of people displaced, families and the impact there because of the earthquake. And so we'd want to remember them. But more so than that, what's going on in Afghanistan. And uh, what's going on there is just tragic. It is horrible. And it, there's a lot of injustice there. Uh, so a, Christians are being persecuted right now there daily. If they were not able to evacuate or get out, and then some that knowingly chose to stay, uh, missionaries that said, I'm staying, they are, if they, if, if they know they are Christian, the Taliban is, is seeking them out and is persecuting them. And so we want to remember uh, missionaries and persecuted Christians, but also just the tragedy and injustice being done to the Afghan people. Uh, so many men, and in particular women and children, uh, and the atrocities and the the, the, the harm, the, uh, many of them just ultimately being murdered and, and not for any good or right reason. And so we want to take a moment and we want to do a couple of things. One, one thing you could do is you could consider giving, send relief. Bryant Wright, who is our interim, headed that up. And you've heard about many times some of what they do, but they are a group that tries to bring relief to some of these things around the world. And right now, they are doing what they can, significant efforts to try to minister to and help those who are experiencing that kind of tragedy and injustice right now. You could consider giving. So you could go to their website and consider giving some support. And then on top of that, we can pray. So wherever you may be in a day, throughout a day, you could spend some time praying. But we want to take a moment and we would like to do that here in our service this morning. And so if you would join your hearts in agreement with me, and if we would just go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to do something there. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
We come before you and God, you are uh, the all-powerful God who sits in eternity. You are not unaware of what is going on around our world, in our world. And Father, we pray this morning for what's going on in Afghanistan. God, we pray that truth and justice and mercy would roll down like rivers, that it would right now in that nation that your presence would come and move and do what only you can do to bring peace to the instability that is happening there. God, I pray for Christians, for missionaries, those who are there and many who are being persecuted. I pray that you would calm their fears and that you would comfort them. I pray that you would give them boldness even in these moments to share the gospel, that it would go forth. God, that miraculous things would happen. Father, for the injustices that are happening to to men and in particular to women and to children, God, would you please work in ways that would stop the violence. Father, I pray for our troops who are there and some who are being deployed and they are there and putting themselves in harm's way to try to help protect many and to help get many evacuated from the country. God, would you protect them? And Father, I pray for our leaders in this nation who are making decisions. Would you give them greater wisdom and greater discernment even now to make good decisions, right decisions? And Father, we tell you that we need you. And God, we trust you. And would you work in that country today. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that. Well, go ahead and if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses there in Philippians, starting in verse 12. Let me tell you that worship guide you have, the back of it will do you no good today because Paul did not give me a sermon to preach. Uh, so we are, we are looking at something else today. Uh, so as you get to Philippians chapter 2, um, we will read if you will follow along with me, starting in verse 12. And he says this, So then, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out 
His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Months ago, back in November, I found myself in a different place, uh, and God led me to this passage. And as, as I think about this passage, Paul was writing this letter to the Philippian church, uh, and, and this is about 10 years after Paul had helped plant the Philippian church. And so on a second missionary journey, Paul found himself um, wanting to go many times before to Macedonia, but God wouldn't let him. And he found himself uh, in, in a particular spot, and he was getting ready to go to Babylon, which is where he was planning to go. And God said, Don't go to Babylon. He had a dream, a vision of a Macedonian man giving him the Macedonian call. And he was saying, come to Macedonia. And so Paul set out instead to Philippi. And so he finds himself in Philippi. And, and Paul, when he would go into an area to help get the gospel going, to start a church, he often would go to bodies of water on a Sabbath morning. And he would look for what you might call people of peace. He would look for those who were uh, already somewhat faith-oriented, and he would try to find someone that he could share the gospel with that might be receptive to hear it. And so in Philippi, he did the same. He went down by a river, and he found a group of women, which wasn't uncommon that the women would be down by the water on a Sabbath morning praying. And he finds in particular Lydia. Lydia was a woman who made purple cloth. And purple cloth was uh, valuable, costly, royal. And, and that's, she would make this, this uh, fabric that was very valuable. And so she did well for her family. And Lydia was receptive, and she became a Christian, and her family became Christians, and the church in Philippi was started. And so Paul remembers his time with the Philippian church. He had been with them for months, and he loved the Philippian church. And in fact, he had so wanted to return to them and never would have the opportunity. It wouldn't come even until after writing this letter that he would have an opportunity to go back. And so all he remembers is, is the time with them. It's been about 10 years. He's currently imprisoned. And he's longing for the Philippian people. And, and they send Epaphroditus to him to give him a gift of money to care for him while he's in prison. And so Paul takes the opportunity to write a letter back to the Philippian people. And when we read this letter, Paul's letter in Philippi is unlike 
most of the letters that you hear Paul write. Most of Paul's letter are uh, an admonishment. He is, it's, a, it's a letter of correction, problems or issues that have arisen in the church. And he's writing to try to address an issue or a concern. But the, the letter to the Philippian church is filled with words like joy, rejoice, hope. And I don't know about you, but I long for joy in my life. I want reasons to rejoice. I want reason to be hopeful. Particularly when I see everything that is going on in our world. When I consider the last 18 months or two years in the life of our church, I long for those very things. And even more so when I think about uh, what weighs on me more than that is what I see happening in my family. And so this last November, when I found myself going to Philippians, what prompted me to go there, uh, some of you may know, many of you may know, my wife was diagnosed with cancer in November this last year. And so I was sitting in a parking lot, and because of COVID, uh, was not able to go inside, and I had my four-year-old with me, and uh, she was supposed to have, have you ever heard the words, a routine procedure? And it was just supposed to be routine. They weren't expecting anything. And sure enough, uh, I get a call on the phone. They were supposed to wheel her out and put her in the car. and Off we were supposed to go. And I get a phone call and they said, Mr. Hill, we're going to need you to uh, come up to recovery. And I said, well, I have a four-year-old with me. And they said, bring her with you. And I said, you're going to have an awful lively recovery area with a four-year-old up there. And they said, you need to come. So I went. And the doctor comes out and simply said, we have found a blockage. It's a tumor. Although we'll wait on the results of the biopsy, it is certainly going to be cancer. And so we started the journey. Now, you're going to get something. I failed to give the 8 o'clock service. I had so many people come up and say, can you tell us what's going on with your wife and the results? I forgot to tell them where she is today. And so uh, today she's doing really well. Chemo and radiation, surgery to remove a portion of her colon, and ultimately she is continuing in chemo today. But she's here this morning and will be here in the 11 o'clock service and just is in great spirits and continues to respond really well to treatments. And so God continues to work. When that happened in November, I thought about my wife, I thought about my two teenage kids, and I thought about a four-year-old daughter. And selfishly, the first thing I thought was, oh Lord, please don't take my wife. She needs to raise our four-year-old daughter. I can't raise her on my own. And, uh, and so I went to the Lord. I don't know about you, but in those moments when I'm needing something that I'm not finding inside. I go to God. I should go to God regardless of whether I think I can find it inside or not, by the way. But I went to the Lord and he led me here to Philippians chapter 2. And I was reading those verses and um, 
it got to those words in verse 13, and it's what I've titled this message. I titled it this in the wee hours of this morning. For it is God. And I just stopped right there. And I dwelt a little bit on just that idea. For it is God. It was God ultimately who was working here. And I didn't understand But in moments like these, you learn something, and it's something that I would even pose to you, because I'm certain that all of us at some point in time in our lives have experienced heartache, heartbreak, hardship, struggle, and if you haven't, someday you will. Loss will come to all of us. Struggle comes to everyone at some point. Paul even says later in Philippians in chapter 3, Paul said, I want to know him even in the fellowship of his sufferings, talking about Christ. And that through suffering, we are experiencing something of the sanctifying work and the fellowship that comes from suffering even with Christ. And so God will take and use everything if we will let him. And I realized it was God who was at work. Now, the question that I would pose to you is, what do you believe about God? In difficult moments, we, we, we discover what we truly feel or believe about God. Is God a, a just God? Or is he a God of judgment? Is he a God who causes these kinds of things? Or or is he a loving God and a merciful God? Is he a God who who is is filled with, with good things? And the answer is yes. He is a just God. And he is a God of judgment. But he is God. And he is good. And he is loving and he is caring. And I realized regardless of of how this came into my world or my wife's body or her world, the reality was that God wanted to work and to use it. And he is God. He is God. I am not. My wife and kids remind me of that often. I have learned that one thing for sure. There is a God. I am not him. Praise God. But there is a God. And he is a God who loves you and cares for you. In fact, to help us understand a little more about that God, that first two words in verse 12, so then. It follows uh, that passage, verses 5 through 11, and it's, we call it a, the Christ hymn. And it holds high the person of Jesus Christ. And he says this, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used 
for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For it is God who sent his Son, who humbled himself. He didn't see his equality with God as something to be leveraged for his own advantage. He humbled himself. He was himself obedient to the point of death on a cross so that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. For it is God who is at work. Whether you know it or not, and we just sang about it, even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. God is working. And I know this to be true. Let me tell you how I know it. I've watched how God is using and working in the lives of my kids. And in particular, today she's five, but then she was four. Aniston's her name, and little Aniston... Uh, when this whole thing started, we would, uh, I, I gathered my family every morning and said, we're going to pray for mom every morning. And so uh, one of the joys of uh, being a parent of teenagers and having a little one is getting to send the four-year-old up the stairs to wake up the teenager. <laughs> I love doing that. And uh, the teenagers, not so much. But uh, Aniston loves going up there and getting them up also. And so she would go wake them up and they'd come downstairs. And together we would pray as a family. We did this for months. And uh, I always enjoy when I come home at the end of a day and Michelle says, I got to tell you something that happened today with Aniston. Usually there's some really cool story on the flip side of that. And uh, this particular day was no different. And she said, I've got this little story that I got to tell you about Aniston. In the middle of the day, Aniston came up to her and said, Mom, I want to pray for you. And so Michelle thought it was going to be just this sweet, kind of innocent uh, four year old prayer. And so they sat down, and Aniston crawls up into her lap, and Aniston voices this prayer asking God to heal her mom. A four-year-old. And if a four-year-old is beginning to grasp and God is beginning to shape her heart to believe and to realize that she can turn to God, who she is still learning to know and to understand, and yet she believes that she can say this prayer and ask that her mom be healed from this sickness that she doesn't understand. 
If God can work in the heart of a four-year-old, I don't care how, uh, where you are, if your heart is crusty and, and old, if it's, if it's young and immature or, or whatever may be going on, if, if God can work in the heart of a four-year-old, he is working in your heart. For it is God who is at work. And it really points back to the the verse right before it or the end of it that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many people wrestle a little with that verse and say, well, does that mean that uh, we're, we're supposed to earn our salvation or we have to work to earn? And that is not at all what Paul is trying to say here or what that verse means. Paul Paul does not want anyone. He has just told us that Christ emptied himself. And he wants all of us to come to to the faith, knowledge, and understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That's Paul's desire. That's what he wants. That idea to work out If you look at that word, to work out, it's really the word to fulfill. It's to live it out. My grandfather was a preacher on my mom's side. Uh, Worked in the Evangelical Free Church, pastored for years, planted churches, pastored churches, ultimately worked for the denomination and for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, a seminary a very respected seminary. And I have his Bible. This is his ring uh, that he graduated from college with. And often I go to his Bible because he's got notes in almost on every page. And so I'll go to his Bible and I'll look what he wrote when it comes to certain passages. And in November, when I was beginning to study this, I pulled out his Bible And I went to that little phrase, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he says this, my grandfather said, it's God's responsibility to work in, and it's our responsibility to work out. It is God who works in us to bring salvation through Jesus Christ. And only God. And once you are saved, you can't lose it. You can't earn it. He, he, it is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. But it is our responsibility to live it out. He even says uh, earlier, he, he, he says just one thing in chapter 1, verse 27. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul would often use phrases like that, to live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And that is the idea that Paul is trying to convey, that we live it out, that we are the church in action, if you will, that we daily live out the work of the gospel in our lives. It should compel us 
to live a life that is different and to live it in a manner that is worthy of being called a child of Christ. And actually, it's part of what he says here um, in verse 15. He talks about that we are to be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and a perverted generation. Man, do those words not hold true today? Do we not live in a crooked and a perverted generation? And he says, though, among whom you shine like stars in the world. We are to shine like stars in the world. Another way of saying this would be that we are to magnify the glory of the Lord in the world around us. And so God works in us and we live it out. For it is God who is at work in you. But ultimately, to wrap this up, he comes to the place and he says, the work that he is doing in you is to enable you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. And as I was reading and as I was thinking about what I was dealing with and and facing, those words, his good purpose. God has a purpose. God will use anything if you will let him for his good purpose. And I, I don't know about you, that filled me with hope because it meant that God has a plan. God has a purpose. And sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to grasp. But God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And one that he is working in you to fulfill and to bring about. And sometimes in the midst of life, it can get hard. It can get challenging. But hold on to hope. Because God is at work. In fact, he said earlier, Paul wrote, he said this, uh, a couple of different things, but early on in, in verse 1, verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work that God started in you He is going to be faithful to carry on to completion. You can be certain of that. Paul believed it so much that he said things like, for to me, to live is Christ, is gain. It's gain. And to die, I would gladly die if I could receive, if I could go be with him. To live is gain and to die is Christ. That's not right. He says this, 
For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, it means fruitful work for me. And he goes on and says, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. For I am persuaded of this. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. You see, Paul was experiencing hardship in his own life. He was experiencing, he was imprisoned at this very moment. And he thought that potentially the result of his imprisonment was going to be death. And he said, if that's what happens, fine. I'm okay. I believe I'm going to stay with you, though, because I want you to have confidence in knowing who Christ Jesus is. Because of what has happened in me, that it would advance the gospel. It's the kind of belief that caused a man, a man who uh, was a businessman in New York, very successful, but had hard times fall on he and his family, he, his wife, two daughters. And they were going to take a trip because of the hard times just to get away. And so he puts his family on a boat and something happened at the last minute. And he said, I'll come over in a couple of weeks. I've got to stay back and take care of a few things. And so he stays back, he puts them on a boat and he's taking care of business. He gets a telegram from his wife that says, I'm the only one that survived. Our daughters have passed because there was a, a wreck and the ship sunk on the way. And so he got a ticket. He got on the next cruise and he got on a boat and he headed over to be with his wife. And on the way, the captain comes to him and said, this is about the spot where your daughters lost their lives. And in that moment, and you maybe have heard the story, he pens those words, it is well with my soul. To come to a place, regardless of the circumstance, to say, God, I'm going to praise you because there's hope, because I have confidence in Jesus Christ. And who he is in my life. And I don't know where you are. And maybe you're not there. Maybe you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ. If I could encourage you to do one thing first, it would be trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in the light of that, it's not that things don't happen. Trouble still comes. Struggle still comes. We, we, we fellowship in the sufferings with Jesus Christ. But you will always have hope because you know that it is God who is at work. I have found it to be true in my life, and I want it to be true for you. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor as we wrap up this morning. I'm going to ask us all just to close our, head, uh, close our eyes and bow our heads. And one, I, I, I do want to pray for you, and maybe you've got a struggle, maybe you've got a a challenge in your life and you just would like 
me to pray for you. If you'd slip up your hand and hold it up for a minute so I could see that, so I could pray for you. Okay. Any more? Okay. In just a moment, I'm just going to say a prayer for you and what you're experiencing and ask God to work and move. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you'd like to be able to do that, would you slip your hand up this morning? Because you, in the middle of whatever your experience would, would just like to say, I have hope. And I'm going to pray for you in a minute. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to pray for those who, God, they have said, I've got a a struggle, something in my life, and I just want to be able to have confidence. I want to be able to have hope. God, I pray right now for those that raise their hand and maybe those who didn't. God, would you do a work for those who raised their hand and said, Father, I want to believe and I want to have hope. God, would you work in their heart and in their life? Would you show yourself to them and reveal yourself in a way that they can just have confidence in who Jesus Christ is? And God, would you allow them to shine like stars in this world, crooked and depraved, that you would use what's happening to them to live out the gospel and be a testimony to others. And Father, if there's one here that hasn't trusted you, God, would you work in their heart and in their life and convict them that they could experience true life. Father, I just pray for our world, for our church, that we would continue with a bold hope, a big hope because of who Christ is. God, I just thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who emptied himself for us. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.